Hello and welcome to 90s Month here on the Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. To kick off this special run of shows, I will be diving into one of the all-time classics of 90s alternative rock, the incredible debut record by Weezer, simply known as, uh, I guess, Weezer, but popularly known as the Blue Album. Released uh, May 10th in 1994. Now, uh, there's a lot to dive into this week, so let's get on down to Variant Corner. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to do a uh, Variant Corner Extreme and have some ridiculous um, soundbite there, but I really couldn't find anything cool. So anyway, uh, Discogs has 14 variants listed, but uh, it looks like there are some doubles and a test pressing, so the number seems to be closer to 10. There is a first pressing that was released in the UK with two different covers in 1994 as well. One is the cover that we all know uh, and love or whatever, but the other one is the same cover except the band's feet aren't cropped out, which is kind of weird actually seeing that, but um, you know, still pretty cool. Uh, those two are actually going for about a hundred dollars. Um, then there wasn't another release until 2001 in Japan, and then finally the U.S. got its first vinyl release in 2002. Uh, then again, there was a long gap between releases. When in 2012, a limited hand-numbered edition with the gatefold jacket which I believe was the first time they'd done that, was released or whatever. And then in 2016, a solid blue and marbled blue variant came out. And then the marbled blue was re-released in 2018 in the U.S. And also in 2018 was a pink variant in the U.K. Now, I was kind of bummed I didn't pick up the blue marble one when I had the chance. Um, I saw it on Facebook, I think, and or just ads somewhere. And I wanted it, and for some reason I, I didn't pick it up, but... You know, I have, I have the standard black, which is fine. Let's get into the music, shall we? Track one, My Name is Jonas. Uh, fun bit of trivia. Didn't know this until now. So Brian Bell, who is their guitarist now and who has been their guitarist for a very long time, was not their original guitarist. Uh, it was a guy named Jason Cropper. He's actually credited with writing the intro to this song. But after the entire album was recorded, he was fired by uh, Rivers uh, Cuomo. And uh, he actually, Rivers went back and re-recorded all of the guitar parts himself. Now, Brian's voice can be heard on some tracks, but all the guitar, all rivers, right? Uh, and according to uh, Rick Okasik from, uh, you know, The Cars, and he's, I think, produced the most of the soundtrack albums and just done a shit ton, you know, rest in peace. He produced this record, right? Which I also didn't know that. But um, he said that, uh, he, he told him that he couldn't do that in reference to firing the guitar player that way and then just, like, redoing all of his parts. But then, again, he not only did it, he did it all in one take. So, pretty impressive, actually. If, if only a little, you know, uh, dickish. But the song itself is one of my favorites on the record. According to Song Genius, uh, My Name is Jonas is a song about lead singer River's brother, Leaves, which... I saw somewhere else his actual name is something else, but it's not Leeds. But um, that's what they call him here. A car accident that he got into uh, deals with themes of childhood, nostalgia, and fraternity. Um, the character Jonas was also planned as the protagonist of Weezer's abandoned rock opera, Songs from the Black Hole. Uh, he is often assumed to be a stand-in for Cuomo. Sure, why not, I guess. To me, the lyrics don't necessarily suggest much of that, but 
Who knows? For me, it holds the distinction of being one of the songs I was most proud to gold star on Guitar Hero 3. Uh, and the reason is, is because just, I mean, it's it's a fun song on guitar. It's not like super hard, but it, it takes some some doing to, to gold star it. And uh, it was exciting because on, on Guitar Hero 3, if anybody remembers, to gold star a song, you had to FC it, meaning uh, you had to full combo it, meaning... Once you get up to the four-time multiplier, you can't break your combo, right? So any overstrums or anything like that, you can still get 100% of the song, like hit 100% of the notes, but not FC it, and thus not be able to gold start. So gold starting a song on Guitar Hero was like way more difficult, I guess, and more gratifying in a way, and uh, satisfying, I guess, than doing it on Rock Band, where their gold starring system goes off of its point base. So you could get like 95% notes hit on the song or whatever, but if you use your, your overdrive, uh, like the bonus or whatever properly, and you know, hit, hit enough of the notes, as long as you hit the gold star cutoff score, you'll gold star it. So the whole point is, it makes it, this song in particular, because it isn't the, the easiest song on guitar, the fact that I was able to, to FC it and gold star it was really exciting. But uh, anyway, on to track two, uh, No One Else. Now, it says it's a satirical song from the viewpoint of a character who is overly jealous and protective of his girlfriend. Uh, the song is generally regarded as the first part to The World That Has Turned and Left Me Here, which is the next song, in which the sexist and overbearing boyfriend is now abandoned. Now, I use the word satirical lightly, by the way, because... I will say this song, I mean, I guess it could be satire. It doesn't come across that way. It does not hold up, I guess, in a way like the, the, the lyrics haven't really aged well. You know, in, in one part, he says, uh, I want a girl who will laugh for no one else. When I'm away, she puts her makeup on the shelf. When I'm away, she never leaves the house. I want a girl who laughs for no one else, for no one else. And it's legitimately like super cringy. I don't know. Not the best song, I guess. But moving on. Uh, to a much better song and one that used to be my favorite song the world has turned and left me here it is like i mentioned earlier the uh the asshole from track two getting left and now it's heartbroken so you know fucking good for him also i said it was it was you know keyword was my favorite originally you know that's because like this album just like a bunch of albums from my sister had in the 90s or whatever i only listened to a few songs on it and never explored the entire album uh back then in the olden times you know early 90s or whatever um cassette tapes were still popular but cds were like taking over they were really they were coming there i I guess by that point actually by 94 i guess they they probably would have been the more common physical media but tapes were still fairly prevalent is the point and so my sister had a bunch of stuff on tape and we didn't have a fancy tape player like i know there's some that used to allow you like skip songs where it would like fast forward or rewind to a specific point and you could you know basically pick your songs similar to how you can do on a cd player but you just have to wait for it to you know fast forward or whatever but we didn't have that right so in in our case if i wanted to hear say buddy holly which is track four it was easier honestly just to put the tape on and listen to the first three songs get through them and then get to the one you really wanted now what it did <laughs> with this album in particular it basically made me not listen past track four for a long time now track five is the sweater song and sure you know my sister showed me that song probably but i was never like super into that song so for me track four was kind of where that that's where it stopped and honestly i did that with so many other albums and the rest of the records that i'll get into for 90s month i, I did that with all of them at some point or another like you know long <laughs> Long story long, I didn't hear my favorite song on the record 
uh, only in dreams until 2004, a full 10 years after the album was released. But uh, anyway, speaking of track war, Buddy, uh, Buddy Holly is up next. It was the second single, the uh, first being Undone, the sweater song. So it released on September 7th of 1994, which would have been Buddy Holly's 58th birthday. Uh, it was an international hit, reaching number 17 on the U.S. pop charts and number 12 in the U.K. And in 2011, Rolling Stone named it one of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Also, Buddy Holly was almost called Ginger Rogers, and uh, they actually almost left it off the album for fear of it being too cheesy. Uh, now, uh, Cuomo wanted it off the record. I think the rest of the band really liked it. But the lyrics for the song were taken from a real-life incident that occurred when some of Cuomo's uh, Weezer bandmates were teasing his friend uh, Kyung Hee, a classmate at Santa Monica Community College, who dared to wear her hair in a retro flip. Uh, so he says, they were the homies dissing my girl. Uh, there's a line in the song. It's like, what's with these homies dissing my girl? You know, whatever. It says he wrote in the liner notes for the Alone uh, demo collection. I rarely wrote lyrics about tension between me and the guys in the band because I thought it would be awkward for us all to perform those songs together. In this case, though, it didn't seem like a big deal. The music took shape as Cuomo was fooling around on a friend's Korg keyboard. Uh, inspired by the goofy early synth sounds, he tried his hand at writing a neo-new wave track. It says the chorus melody, though, I came up with as I was walking through the lawns of the campus. The melody was in time to my steps, he remembered. Uh, the lyrics I struggled with, uh, trying to find the right reference point. Uh, an early version read, ooh wee you look just like Ginger Rogers, and oh-oh, I move just like Fred Astaire. Uh, still kind of, you know, still flows pretty well, but I mean, just hearing it the one way for so long, I couldn't imagine it sounding like that, But or having those lyrics, I mean. but So even after that, you know, he, 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 he lands on Buddy Holly, and, you know, everything's done. He was still less than enthusiastic about it. And uh, when it came time to assemble material for the record, he worried that it veered too too much into novelty territory. So, you know, again, he wanted to leave it off. But uh, ultimately, uh, it took some serious convincing from Rick Ocasek to even consider it for the album. And uh, Rick says, uh, I remember at one point he was hesitant to do Buddy Holly. And I was like, Rivers, we can talk about it. Do it anyway. And if you don't like it when it's done, we won't use it. But I think you should try. You did write it. And it is a great song. The ever-supportive producer kept up his pro-Buddy Holly campaign during the course of several days. He said we'd come into the studio in the morning and find these little pieces of paper with doodles on them. We want Buddy Holly. One of the other uh, band members recalled in 2008 in an interview with Blender. I have fond memories of playing the guitar... Uh, after the solo, when all the other music drops out with a pool stick, you know, as a stand-in for a guitar, like for for me, like as a, as a child, I remember like hearing the part where it's like, uh, I think like I said, all the music drops out, and it's that one guitar is, you know, I was really excited about that. But so one thing I didn't realize until uh, understanding what the song is about, or where the where the lyrics like came from, or whatever. The line where he says, uh, your tongue is twisted, your eyes are slit, you need a guardian. Now make a whole lot more sense, but they just sound terrible. I mean, I know it's not Rivers, like he wasn't saying that or saying that about anyone. But I guess even the Weezer, other Weezer bandmates referring to an Asian person with their eye, ugh, the eyes and all that. It's just a not cool. But um, moving right along. So Undone, the sweater song. Again, the first single off of this album. Now, uh. When speaking to Rolling Stone, uh, Cuomo said the sweater song was uh, actually the first Weezer song that he ever wrote back in 1991. Uh, I was trying to write a Velvet Underground type song because I was super into them and I came up with a guitar riff or that guitar riff. 
I just picked up that acoustic guitar and the first thing I played was uh, that riff. And it just feels so classic to me. Even now when the band starts to play it, it just takes over the energy in the room and you just transport it into the world of Weezer. It wasn't until years after I wrote it that I realized it's almost a complete ripoff of Sanitarium by Metallica. Uh, it just perfectly encaps- encapsulates Weezer to me. Uh, you're trying to be cool like Velvet Underground, but your metal roots just pump through unconsciously. Also, Rivers told Billboard magazine this. It's been the case uh, since our first album that people thought we were being just uh, sarcastic and ironic. Uh, when I wrote the sweater song, to me, it was a very sad song about depression, and people heard it on the radio and thought it was hysterical. That's interesting, you know, because after listening to it for, I don't know, well over 20 years, I guess, I would have never guessed that was the original intention at all. You know, I too took it as kind of a funny, just a, you know, it's a fun song, right? But um, anyway, Surf Wax America is up next at track six. Just a fun, fast song about surfing and shit. That's it. You know, the chorus, um, uh, you take your car to work, I'll take my board, and when you're out of fuel, I'm still afloat. It's pretty great. I like the uh, the switch in the drums too, like in, in the bridge or whatever. It's pretty awesome. And I just wish I, I wish I could play like a snippet of that, but I, I just like the way the, the everything kind of shifts or whatever. And it's just a really, it, it's really cool. It's really awesome the way it all sounds. And, you know, I don't know. They're just so good at writing, you know, these pop rock songs that also still feel like there's uh, some real substance to them. That obviously takes a lot of talent. And they express that super well here on this album, you know. So track seven, saying ain't so. So the big one, right? Ranked as number 10 on Pitchfork Media's top 200 tracks of the 90s. Number 72 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Guitar Songs of All Time in 2008. Uh, It was the third and final single from this album. Rivers uses a vivid imagery to weave a tale of teenage despair in the wake of alcoholism that was tearing his family apart. Uh, This is a song that I really feel like, like every single person on the planet of a certain age has heard this song at least once. You know, from this release to being included on the very first rock band to being in, I'm sure, movies and TV shows and other things like the song is it's timeless. It's a fucking classic. Like, I mean, I would say, you know, this is probably my second favorite song uh, behind Only in Dreams. You know, the bridge to just crushes like emotionally still, you know, he says um, this bottle of Stevens uh, awakens ancient feelings like father, stepfather. The sun is drowning in the flood, and, you know. Uh, cue guitar solo, right? But just the way they sing that part, like it's so just there's a there's a certain rawness to it, I guess. That um, it's just it's just fucking great. You know, it, it seems like this song too, like it it starts off really slow and then it builds and builds and builds to that point right there, and then it just really starts just like ripping ass, like it's pretty fucking great. So you know, masterful songwriting, right? But on the track eight. In the garage, the song—it's a song that tells the story of a of a loner who feels the most safe and secure in his garage, surrounded by posters and figurines of his favorite board games, bands, and comic book characters, away from the judging eyes of his peers. Easy peasy, right? Uh, it's a good song. But uh, next up, track number nine, "Holiday." Now, Rivers has said about "Holiday" and in in the in, in the garage, um, "Holiday" was written in a sudden burst of confidence. And optimism after we got a record deal. Uh, those positive emotions have since dissipated along with our cash advances, but I still like the songs. Uh, lyrically, Holiday follows the singer's desire to take a carefree, unplanned vacation, probably inspired, as mentioned above, by the band being signed and getting an advance. This would not be Weezer's only foray into daydreaming about escaping on a holiday. Uh, that later, they, Their later hit, uh, Island in the Sun, details a similar wish for escape. Now, this is a fun song as well, you know, obviously expertly wit- written and just... An absolute joy to listen to. And then on to the closer, Only in Dreams. 
So I, I love this song. Like I love it. You know, it's um I guess a simple song just about a guy, you know, not getting the girl, right? I love the bass line in it too, the opening bass line, uh, the guitar solo at the end, the drums, like it, it just feels like the nineties like perfectly encapsulated. Then like I said, there's there's this big build up at the end, just everything, all the music. Like if you listen to it un- uninterrupted and just really soak it all in, it, it's fucking great. <laughs> Like, I don't think that you'll be disappointed uh, if you do that. And, like, I still listen to it to this day. Like, that song, I'll put it on. It's, like, eight minutes long, but it's fucking great. But just like that, you know, the album ends. It's pretty much a, I mean, a flawless closer of of a a song for the album, you know. And um, that's it. So, episode one of 90s Month is in the books. Arbitrary Rating Horn is coming back for this one. Five out of five. It's a classic for a reason. I mean, some of the, the, the bits that don't hold up too well lyrically or just like socially, I guess, or whatever. I mean, I get it. You know, the album's almost 30 years old. I and mean, there's you can pick shit out of almost everything from that time period that maybe, obviously in 2020 eyes, would not hold up well. But for the most part, uh, this album does, and it's still fucking great. And I still listen to it fairly regularly. So again... So thank you all for listening. Uh, next week's episode will be on Ben Folds 5 and their 1997 release, Whatever and Ever, Amen. Super excited to talk about that one as well. So come back next week if you're excited to listen. Uh, and as always, you know, follow me on all the social media stuff, uh, rate, and re- rate and review on iTunes and all that jazz and everything. So uh, for the Vinyl Countdown, I'm Jeremy Levine and hope to be in your ears next week for Vinyl... Oh, fuck for a 90s month uh, part two take care everybody thank you